Hey guys, welcome to Precision Nutrition's The Complete Fitness Professional Podcast. I'm Dr. John Berardi, co-founder of Precision Nutrition, and if you're not familiar with us, over the last 15 years, we've become the world's largest online nutrition, fitness, and health coaching company. Most interesting for health and fitness pros, we've turned the lessons learned coaching over 200,000 clients into a complete nutrition and health coaching system called the Precision Nutrition Certification. It's the industry's most recognized career-changing coaching system anywhere. In this podcast, which is a mix of recorded articles, interviews, and roundtable discussions, myself and my Precision Nutrition colleagues will coach you on growing your business, helping more people, and becoming a better coach. We'll help you become more than a personal trainer, strength coach, or nutritionist. We'll help you become the complete fitness professional. So let's get started. Okay, so today we're gonna to talk about something I feel extremely passionate about, something I've become passionate about in the last few years as uh, both I've grown as a professional and as my company, Precision Nutrition, has gone in the reach that we've had over the last few years. And this is, it's this idea of becoming the complete fitness professional. And I'm gonna go into what I think that means over the course of our time together today. But the way I'm gonna go about it is by focusing on five different areas that I think are humongous opportunities for us as professionals to grow, okay? Um, sometimes, in my mind, I frame them up as problems. Oh, the problem with fitness is this. So you could look at them as problems, but I'd like to actually reframe them as opportunities. They are our chance to get better in the next five or 10 years, where I think fitness is going to be changing dramatically, okay? And I'll, and I'll talk to you about why. Now, the first opportunity I want to bring up actually came up at a Perform Better Summit. I'm not sure if it was here in Chicago. I actually think it was Chicago. And there was a woman in the audience, and it was part of a, a Q&A, and she asked this question here. When will doctors start referring their obese patients to us? We're more qualified to help them than any doctor ever was. How many people are like, yeah, good question. Thanks for asking it. Okay, some of you. You're like, I'm being set up for failure here, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually didn't love the question, okay? And I don't think it's a bad question per se, but I think there's a couple things wrong with it. Anyone know what I might think is wrong with it? The so the qualified part, so what do you mean by that? So she said, maybe we haven't been as qualified, or maybe we're not as qualified as we think we are, maybe in terms of qualifications as far as they go, because ultimately a medical degree, board certified in some specialty in medicine, may be seen by the world at large as a higher ranking qualification than personal trainer certification. So there's one part. Go ahead, right there. Yeah, so for special populations, maybe we haven't been trained in that. That's a good point. What else? Go ahead, back there. Why don't patients self-report to us? Okay, so that's another good question. Yeah, why aren't they coming to us in the first place? Do you have one? That was basically, like, it's kind of a passive, like, it's the doctor's responsibility as opposed to ours. Mm -hmm. So why aren't we getting out in front of them and people feeling that? And there's another one here. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's a good question. Where's the opportunity for collaboration? Rather than saying doctors suck, we're way better. Uh, maybe there's something else in between uh, where we can all sort of provide our level of expertise. There's a thought over here. It's a great point. Uh, a lot of obese people may have other medical issues that maybe need to be dealt with before seeing a personal trainer and being treated with just movement and maybe some nutrition uh, as a vehicle to help them. That's all great points. You know, for me, one of the funny things in this is I was talking to someone after the session. It was a Q&A, and I gave my answer, which was not, yeah, I think that's totally true, but was I, I actually have some problems with this, and you guys brought up many of the problems. Um, someone came up to me and they were kind of vehemently opposed to my position. And I asked them where they train people, and they said they train people at Equinox, and I'm, I'm an advisory board member of Equinox, so I love Equinox. And I was like, well, which, which city? And they're like, New York. And I'm like, okay, New York City, Manhattan? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, cool. So how many obese people have you seen in your Equinox club ever? Not very many. For those of you who don't hang out in downtown Manhattan, there's not a lot of obese people kicking around. And they're certainly not stumbling into Equinox. So my question was, have you ever even worked with an obese person in your life? And if you have, that's cool. Has it been five obese people that you've worked with? Ten? So do we really have deep expertise in this area? And for me, this is what brings up the first opportunity. Again, we can consider it a problem, but again, let's reframe it as an opportunity. What I think one of the biggest opportunities we have in fitness today, and I call that the gap, okay? And it's not the thigh gap or anything else like that. The gap that I'm talking about here is this, all right? I feel like there's this huge space between the people like you and me and the people that need our help. Does anyone know what I'm talking about here? Oh, I see a lot of heads nodding yes. Okay, so let me, let me articulate what I'm trying to say here, okay? Because I think you guys might feel it. Here's what I think describes the people like you and me. People like you and me are committed, passionate, sometimes even on fire about fitness. And when I say on fire, that could be a mixed blessing, all right? On fire could mean so passionate about it that you're doing all the right things and spreading the word and getting on stage and teaching your community. It could also mean you nag the heck out of every single person you ever meet and talk to about this, okay? Someone posted kind of a funny thing on my Facebook last night, which uh, was directed at vegans and vegetarians, but I think could equally be well applied here. And someone had posted a big scathing criticism of meat eating, and so someone just commented, and they were vegan, and someone commented after, how do you know if someone's a vegan? Don't worry, they'll tell you. Okay, And oftentimes, the same thing is true in fitness, right? We're committed, we're passionate, we're on fire about it. We often love to exercise and explore eating healthy food. So we're like, I don't know, putting up on our Instagram, went to the farmer's market this weekend, check it out, found purple kale. Like, these are the kind of things we're into, all right? We have continuing ed certifications and degrees. Many of us do, and by virtue of being here, you're in that category. We know all the rules, the lingo, and the expectations, right? We use all kinds of words that other people are like, what are you saying? What is that language? Oh, that's fitness language. So we know the secret handshakes. And many of us have actually gone through personal transformation ourselves, and that's what got us so passionate about this in the first place. 
And ultimately, though, I think all of this summates into this thing here. We think everyone should be and should live like us. Okay? Now let's look at the other group. These are the people that need our help. These people are just kind of people generally unhappy with body parts, energy level, and their lifestyle right now. They're embarrassed for asking questions, and they're embarrassed for not knowing the rules. Think about how weird it is when you stumble into the gym, and all the people there work out all the time, and all the trainers know the secret handshake, and you don't. You immediately, in many cases on day one, feel like you don't belong. We often call them lazy when they struggle and when they don't understand the things we're trying to teach them. Okay, And we're often nicer about it, especially people in this group. But the implication is, if you wanted this badly enough, you'd do it. But since you're so lazy or not motivated, that's why you don't. And they feel unwelcome by unrealistic images and hardcore. I don't know how many of you love Martin Rooney and were at his Training for Warriors session. I think they're incredible. How many were? How many have sweated with Martin today? Many of you. Imagine you haven't ever done this before, and you walk into that. Would you feel right at home? Probably not. Okay, so you kind of feel unwelcome. And the bottom line is, while we feel like people should live and be like us, they don't want to be us. They just want to be themselves, but a little bit better. Now, how do I illustrate this even better? I often talk about one of the things almost everyone in this room has said at some point in their career. Fitness is a lifestyle, or it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle. I'd like to unpack that statement for just one second, because we all think it's a good thing to say. What do I think we're really saying, though? And the spirit of it in fitness usually looks like this. Your lifestyle is awful. You need to stop living your crappy lifestyle and start living like us. Which I think is often very ironic because, I don't know, I started personal training when I was 18 years old. And some part of me felt this. And who are my clients? They were like Fortune 500 executives who were worth infinite time what I was worth. Uh, They were flying places on their private jet. You know, they had a, a life that could be considered not totally crappy. And I was sitting there judging them and thinking I was better because I ate more vegetables. It's absurd, right? They're doing pretty good in their life, and they want to continue to do well in that. They just want to add a little bit of health and fitness into it. They don't want to sell their children, quit their job, change everything so that they can have six-pack abs. Okay, So I think it's something really important to keep in mind as we move forward with clients, and I think it's a problem with fitness today because we still haven't gotten that concept. So the gap. What I think we often try and do in fitness is this. It's my way of illustrating it. We try and take the people that need our help and bring them into our world. We're like, hey, if you started living like us, come over here. I'll show you how awesome it is in fitness land. Okay? But you guys know how well that works. Really what needs to happen is we need to play a lot more in their world. We need to visit it more often. We need to go to it when we coach them. We need to remember what it's like. 
Because for a lot of us, you know, I, I don't know, when I, before I started this whole fitness journey, I ate like Fruit Loops for breakfast and cover your ears, honey, but I had like smoked cigarettes. You know what I mean? So I live there. I just have totally forgotten it. So now I'm like, oh, cigarette smokers are the filth of the earth, right? You're like, well, wait a second. There's like some dissonance here. That was like totally me at some point in my life before I discovered all this. So I think we need to spend more time remembering or hanging out with people in their world and bring what we do in small ways into it, which is how we close the gap. So what I'm going to do a lot of today is after I go through each opportunity, I want you guys to do a thought exercise. You don't have to scribble this down, and we're not going to do it all together today because we don't have time. But you can either take out your phone and take a picture of this, or if you put your name on this list, you'll get the thought exercises later, and you can do them. All right? So the first thought exercise that I love doing at this point is this one. Think about someone you know. It could be a partner, a family member, a friend, a colleague, a neighbor, one of your kid's teachers. Okay, who isn't into fitness like you are, and imagine they contact you looking for help. And archetype them, right? What is their name? Who are they, and why are they coming to you? What do you think they might want to know about? And write these things down. Don't just think about it. Write down your answers. They're really illuminating. What do you think their major concerns might be? What do you think their biggest life priorities are? Hint, probably not fitness, okay? What do you think they might worry about or be scared of? What language do they use to talk about their issues? I doubt they talk about subcutaneous body fat. Okay. And then, once you write all these things down, what they're worried about, what their life is like, what their priorities are, none of which are probably anything like yours, because you're into fitness. You're like, I would do... If people would just pay me to work out all day, that's what I'd do. Okay? That's probably not going to be their thing. So... Describe all those things for them, and then how might you bridge the gap between yourself, which I might call the super committed health and fitness aficionado, and them, a fitness newbie without any desire to uproot their entire life in the pursuit of a fitness project. Okay? This is a great thought exercise. Spend some time with it, and it's really illuminating, and I think you'll immediately, without any more coaching, start to change the way you talk to clients. And by doing that, we close the gap. Because I think this is not just an opportunity for you as a professional, it's an opportunity for the entire industry. So instead of doing this thing where we're like, here's client behavior today, let's bring them here right away as fast as we can, we just nudge them along this continuum. What's one notch better than they are today? What's the smallest thing we can do with them now that they feel confident that they can do to move them closer to ideal behaviors? And then we just stop when they are where they want to be. We don't have to take them to here, okay? Just nudge them along a little bit until it's comfortable. So the first big opportunity is to close this gap, not only with you and your clients, but as an industry. Because right now I find it kind of strange that there's so much money being spent and attention being put on fitness and health. There's apps, there's more personal trainers, gyms, everything's growing. Yet people aren't getting healthier in mass in North America, for example. So that's what illustrates the gap. We're not even making an impact on the population at large. And the reason is because we play in this little fitness sandbox, and when people are motivated enough or not so lazy, they'll come and see us and do the fitness thing, and everyone else doesn't even deserve it. And that's part of what's logged into our brains. And the reason we think that is because we're only playing in our sandbox. So I think it's a huge opportunity for us, and it's one that I encourage you guys to think a little bit more about. Okay? 
So second opportunity in the fitness industry today, personal training, okay? Personal training. What's he going to say about personal training? I actually think in the next five to eight years, personal training is dead. And not in the way that you've heard people, other people say it. I don't feel like, oh, it's going to be group training. That's not where I'm going with this, okay? What I'm talking about here is the idea that there are these people that you hire, personal trainers, who take you through workouts, and that's what you do with them. Honestly, if that's what you're doing in eight years, I feel like you're going to be uncomfortable, deeply uncomfortable, not only with your vocation, but with how much money is in your pocket. I don't think people are going to be comfortable hiring individuals who just do personal training. So what happens then? Is there going to be no jobs for you guys? No. I actually think there's going to be this shift from personal trainer to what you might call lifestyle manager. All right? I don't even love that name, and that's not what it's going to be called. But I say because you probably are already thinking of ideas of what I mean when I say lifestyle manager. Let me show you specifically what I mean. Right now, I think what personal trainers do is let's just call it conditioning. Okay? So I'll talk about what I mean by that in a minute. But there's all these other areas that contribute to a whole healthy self. Right? There's movement, there's food choices, there's eating behaviors, and I think they're very different than food choices. We'll talk about each. Self-management and self-care. And I think that no one hires you to squat more. They're not like, oh yeah, yeah, I really, that, that balancing thing I saw you doing, I gotta do more of that. No, they're like, you're fit. I hear that people like you help people like me get fit and not have diseases and be able to move. Help me with that. And so the more we think we're exercise supervisors, the less we're actually serving the need of the client. And the real need of the client is this stuff. So let's talk about each. I mean, historically, personal training was conditioning. If you've been, how many people have been in the field for 10 to 15 years? Okay, so you're gonna, the first two slides are gonna be really resonant. So in the beginning, we were just, we did strength exercise, power exercise, endurance exercise. We lifted weights. We did interval. We did cardio. You remember the days of doing the circuits in the gym? You know, oh yeah, there's the pre-programmed, selectorized 10-unit circuit. And you just walk people through that with your clipboard. Okay? I remember when that's all personal trainers did in most gyms, right? New clients would come in. You'd put them on machine one. The only variation you had in that was the height of the seat. That was your expertise. Ah, you're going to be on a three now. <laughs> and the focus was exercise adaptation. We make people either bigger, stronger, faster, or more metabolic right now. Okay, so acutely over the next couple of weeks in this particular phase. All right? Next came, and I think this was awesome that it came, and most of you, this is second nature, but for people who've been in the year, this field 15 years, you'll remember when none of this was even touched. Movement. So, what's movement? It's the assessment of how people move. How's my client moving to begin with? And as Greg Cook often says, first move well, then move often. How many people use some form of movement assessment, screening, FMS in your practice right now? Yeah, it's amazing. People who've been in this field 15 years, you remember when no one did any of that? I remember when this was brand new. I actually remember when Greg Cook started teaching this stuff, and the, the physical therapy associations were sending him like cease and desist letters. Why are you training those personal trainers on physical therapy techniques? And Gray and I have had some many very interesting conversations about how this morphed. Because there was a time when people didn't want personal trainers doing that particular thing because they felt like it was out of your scope of practice. Well, I'm so happy it's not anymore. And I'm so happy it's part of what we do 
because these evaluations and realignments, whether it's fascial, soft tissue work, or relearning of the nervous systems, they help people focus on achieving high-quality movement, playing with your grandkids, pain-free, safe, functional, long-run bodies. So that's come into our field. Not everyone has embraced it. You guys probably, there are probably fitness facilities in your town that don't do any of this stuff because this is a pretty more advanced group. Um, but that's sort of the second tier, right? And right now, to us, it's almost absurd to do one without the other. Like, do conditioning without this, okay? So that's, take that level of absurdity and think about 10 years from now. What will it be absurd that we wouldn't have been doing today? See, see where I'm going with this? So think about how this is going to change, and you're not going to be a personal trainer. You're going to be this lifestyle manager, and you're going to be like, yeah, it's so crazy. Ten years ago, no one did X. Well, the things that I think are X are coming up, okay? So this next one is food choices. And thankfully, we're starting to do some of this too. And I actually think what's happened with nutrition coaching in fitness is it's followed the same exact pattern that movement coaching has. And for those of you who watch the industry, you'll know this, right? At first, you weren't allowed to talk nutrition because it's what? Outside of your scope of practice. Huh, where have I heard that before? And then companies like ours start teaching people how to help otherwise healthy people eat better. And then we get letters from organizations who tell us, it's illegal to do what you're doing. And then I call Greg Cook, and I'm like, hey, did you get the same letter from a different organization saying the same thing? Yeah, yeah, totally. And we laugh about it over a drink. And uh, then we get back to doing what we do, teaching people how to help others live better. So food choices encompasses what you eat, how much you eat, when you eat. You guys probably read a lot about this. You probably are fascinated with some of this stuff. The focus is having a better nutritional status, the right stuff, the right amount at the right time. But I actually don't think that's enough. Okay, And that's where the next area comes in. And this is an area I'm spending a ton of time on right now. It's eating behaviors. Okay, So it's this idea of not what you're eating, but when do you eat? Who do you eat with? How fast do you eat? How does your food culture and your beliefs influence that? Whether it's you know, you, you're not from North America and the foods your heritage eats are different, or whether it's you're a vegan or vegetarian or whatever the case may be. Food budget and food preferences. For me, the focus here is making better choices within context and a gaining of both nutrition and enjoyment in your food. Okay, And I think in our field, it's been very physiological. It's proteins, carbs, and fats, and calories. It's nutrient biochemistry. And it makes sense, right? A lot of us like the physiology side of things, right? Exercise science is what many of us came into this field studying. So, of course, we just went one step further and said, okay, the exercise science pathways are these. Nutrition factors into those pathways I already know about. So that's what I'll study next. But we're not looking at this stuff. Now, I'll tell you about a really interesting and fun project we're working on that will illustrate where I think this is going and what's even being done today. So this is my business partner, Phil. He started Precision Nutrition with me back in the day. And you guys, can, you guys know what he's wearing there? Okay, so it's Google Glass. So we're doing this project with Google, um, sort of like a labs project, looking at food and eating behaviors through the glass. So in other words, let's say you're a client and you're going through this, and you're going to wear the glass for me for the day. And instead of just looking at what you eat, what you can do now, right? It's, it's awesome. You don't have to do a food log anymore. Just watch, 
put the glasses on. We can see what you ate. We can run an algorithm of the, the actual image. We know how many calories it was. We know how much proteins and carbs and fats are in there. I never have to ask you to, what you're eating again. Okay, I can just see it. And no human even has to see it. The computer sees it and reads it. But even more interesting is all the other stuff it sees. Hey, I notice every time you get home late from work, you eat this way relative to when you get home early. Hey, whenever you're with a group of people more than five, you eat this way relative to when you eat by yourself. Hey, every time you get served this type of green vegetable, you pass on it, but every time you get served this one, you eat it. Hey, every time you eat, you normally take four minutes to eat that meal, and we think it might be better to stretch that out to eight minutes. And you see, there's all these intervention points, right? The person doesn't even know themselves that are critical in how they eat. And if we just think of food as the discipline to follow the diet plan I gave the client, we're missing everything, everything that determines actually how they eat, when, and why. Okay? And we're, we're right on the cusp of being able to measure some of those things, learn a lot about human behavior this way, and then have intervention points. Wouldn't it be cool if the Google Glass was plugged into your phone, and every time you worked, walked into a particular restaurant, it made a suggestion for the healthiest option there? That would be pretty awesome. Okay? And even if the technology always is expensive for this, which means the population at large won't be able to do any of it, we'll get learnings from it that will help us understand how people behave around food in the context of their actual lives. And so hopefully you guys are seeing the split between the two. One is what you write on a piece of paper as their meal plan. The other is how they behave in the context of a real human life. And I think they're different. And I think the second one determines everything. And if you're going to coach nutrition for your clients, you should spend 95% of your time on the second one and not the first. Okay? Next, self-management. So this is looking at things like what your client's priorities are. Are their behaviors in line with their priorities? So they say that these are their priorities. Is that actually true? I'll give you an example of this in a minute. Uh, what can you do to get them in line? All right, how can you coach them through that process, either gentle self-discovery or whatever else? So that's the first thing I really like, provoking gentle self-discovery. When you bring up, hey, I noticed you said your number one priority is this. I'm just wondering if we can look at a log of your actions for the last week. Are those two things lining up? You maybe never have to say anything more than that. The person will start to recognize it on their own, helping align their words and actions and coaching past fear and ambivalence. And I want to share an example of this with you from my personal life, and Amelyn will recognize this. Um, so do you guys know what ambivalence is? Yeah, kind of. it's this feeling that you want to, but you don't want to. Okay? And so we all think our clients are full of it, but we conveniently forget that so are we. Okay? You may not have it for exercise and nutrition, but I challenge you to think of the areas in your own personal life where you struggle to make change. Where is ambivalence there? Okay? In your own life. It could be around relationships. It could be around a job you don't like. It could be around also your relationship with your family. Whatever the case may be. So I'll share a little story of mine. So um, my son, Raylan, who's three, so that's Amelyn's little brother, he's like a little fireball. He's full of energy. He's just super high energy. He's always brimming with joy. So he loves to wake me up in the morning. So how's he doing? He slams open the door, runs in, Hops on the bed. She's cracking up. She's like, he does. He so does that. Okay. 
And he usually does about an hour before I want to wake up every morning. Okay, so he wakes up six a.m. I usually like to wake up around eight. Mom can usually keep him out of the room for an hour, and then you know, gates are open. It's all done, right? So I've been complaining about it for months. So my wife Amanda was like, one day while I was out, I come home. She put a lock on the door. She's like, oh yeah, the thing you always complain about, I fixed it. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, oh, I locked. I put a lock on the door. So now just lock the door every morning, and he won't bug you. So of course, I never locked the door. Why is that? Ambivalence, right? I want to, but I don't want to. Am I so lazy? That lazy John Berardi can't even walk across the room and flip the lock. That's what we say about clients. They're so lazy they can't even eat a piece of protein for lunch. Well, it's the same as saying I'm so lazy I wouldn't lock the door. It's only ten steps, lazy man. Why didn't I do it? Someone tell me why. There's some value or priority that I rank higher than getting an extra hour of sleep. That no matter how much I complain about it, will never override it. That's what happens in your clients' lives. And I challenge you to find your own examples in your own life, and then feel the empathy that comes with the aha moment when you realize that you're full of ambivalence too, and it's not because you're lazy or you suck as a human being. Okay. So this is self-management. How do you help these things line up? How do you help me get an extra hour of sleep when my son comes in an hour earlier, and I'm going to lose that hour unless I do something different, and I'm unwilling to lock the door? Kind of in a pickle, aren't I? How can you coach me through that? You probably have some suggestions already. How about going to bed an hour earlier? How about having a nap during the day? There are solutions, right? And that's what you have to figure out. How do you help someone with self-management? So the focus here is helping clients get in alignment, and I often say fitness is really easy. When it's resonant with your life, when it's not, it's impossible. So, how do you make it resonate for people? So that's self-management. The last one is self-care. How much do you sleep? What are your recovery practices? How do you manage stress? The focus here is building strategies for self-care with your clients, and making it a part of your fitness plan. Okay, not as something extra, because the truth is, any exercise or nutritional habits you have them try and strive towards. Are added stressors, and you all know that. So, how do you build recovery into your plan to accommodate the stress you're giving them? Have you ever thought of it that way? Do you do it? Self-care is part of that, and that's why it's part of your role. Okay, you might not be giving them massages or doing guided breathing techniques with them, although you might. It's actually part of the warm-up in our coaching programs. One of the first dynamic warm-ups is a breathing exercise. It's fetal breathing, and then we. Do dynamic mobility stuff after that. So, how do you build this stuff into your programming? Let's get to the thought exercise for this one. All right, and this is about you and your own growth and development. So, I want you to pretend you want to continue to move along the continuum from personal trainer to lifestyle manager. Maybe you haven't thought about this before, but pretend for a minute that's what you want to do. Consider these questions: Which area of lifestyle management are you addressing right now? So, is it self-care? All the things we talked about. Okay. Which one are you addressing right now in your practice? Is it just conditioning? Is it conditioning and movement? Is it eating behavior? Is it nutrition? And why are you doing that? In other words, what made you do that and not the others? Now think about the others. Which areas of lifestyle management are you not addressing, and why aren't you? Acceptable answers are: I have no training in that. Great. Just call it out. Write it down. Because now you know. If you want to do that, you need to get some training. So write all this stuff down. 
What skills would you need to build as you continue progressing? And if you want to develop more of these skills, what specific things would you do in the next three, six, and 12 months to develop them? See, I don't like the idea of me coming here to Long Beach and talking to you guys for an hour and 15 minutes or whatever the case is, and then you just go to the next section, session and that's it. I actually hope that when I see you a year from now, something is going to be fundamentally different in your practice, in your life. That's my goal. That's the reason I flew six hours in an airplane with a five-year-old to be here with you, okay? Because I'm hoping something changes over the next 12 months. That's not going to change unless you think about what your plan is for that. Now, you might not change anything from what you learned in this session, but I hope there's at least one session that you think you ought to change toward. Okay, so really wrapping that one up, the second big opportunity is this move towards lifestyle manager. And I don't think it's optional, to be honest. I think if you don't start moving to this, then kind of one day things are going to be different for you and you're going to be like, how come I don't get as many clients anymore? It's, you're just going to start to feel obsolete and you're not going to know why. I often say that change kind of happens this way. We think change is going to be dramatic and pe like there's going to be jets and cars flying by and we'll be like, ah, we're in the future, right? But that never happens. Life is just kind of life and then things start to change. It's like someone who hasn't, uh, someone in their 70s, for example, who doesn't know how to use the computer, right? They're still functioning and living in the world with everyone else. They have conversations and they eat food and they go to the bathroom, right? But there's just this certain area of things they can't do and they feel left out and obsolete and they quite literally become useless in some capacities. And I think that's what happens in fitness. This whole thing moves on. You won't even really notice it and then you'll just start feeling useless and then people are going to start thinking you're useless and it's simply because you don't have these subtly different skills, okay? So that's the second big opportunity. The third big opportunity, Dan John. So I know he's in the next room over. I wish he would have been in here because then I could have talked about him with him in the room. And so remember, this is both an opportunity and a problem. Okay? So what's the problem with Dan John? You guys all know Dan. You've been in his, his sessions. You guys like Dan John, yes? You people who like Dan John, raise your hand. Okay, me too. All right. So what's the problem with Dan John? Well, I remember talking to him a few years ago, and I was like, hey, Dan, tell me the secret of your success. Tell me the pathway you took to become a world-famous strength coach. Okay, those of you who don't know who Dan is, he's a world-famous strength coach. Okay, um, he was a high-level athlete, and now he writes books and articles, and he's a mentor, and he teaches workshops, and he's fantastic, and if you haven't read any of his stuff, you should. So why is he a problem? Well, his pathway is really, really strange and interesting to me. So in a nutshell, he was like, well, okay, I'm going to tell you how I became a world-famous strength coach. So I went to university and I studied English, literature, and did some religious studies. And then I became a high school English teacher and taught some religious studies courses online. And then I volunteered as a strength coach for the track team at my high school. And they wouldn't pay me, and I wasn't a head coach. I was just a volunteer, like an assistant coach. I did that for like 15 years. And then football was like, yeah, this guy's not too bad. So then they let me volunteer for the football team. Fast forward another 15 years, and I'm a world-famous strength coach. <laughs> like, all right. How do I sign up for that plan? 
like every other profession, fitness needs a curriculum. And the reason why I think Dan is a cautionary tale is not because he's Dan, because Dan's phenomenal, and he got to this place. He became Dan John. But I wonder how many thousands of almost Dan Johns are out there. You know what I mean by that? People who did that path, and they're still volunteering at high school, and they're maybe making a difference in the lives of 15 or 20 kids, maybe 40 kids if they're with football every year. But they're not making a bigger impact like Dan is on the world. They're the almost Dan Johns. And the reason they're almost Dan Johns is because they didn't have a curriculum. They're teaching high school English, even though they're really passionate about helping people change their bodies and their strength in their lives. right? So I think we're missing this curriculum, and it's something I've been thinking about a lot for the last few years. If you had to put together a curriculum for yourself, because there's no sort of university program, I mean, there's like a personal training curriculum in universities sort of coming up, I guess, but I don't think they're really there yet. So I tried to outline, if I had like a do-it-yourself curriculum for trainers, what would it look like? So for me, phase one is just a basic training education certification. In other words, it doesn't even have to be good. Do the weekend course, just for your very first thing to get started. Get your personal training credential and get a few clients. So that's step one. Step two, nutrition education. I'm not quite sure if step two or step three should come first, Okay, whether it's full movement or nutrition. I think nutrition makes a tremendous impact on body composition and movement makes a tremendous impact on all movement-related goals. So you could call them 2A and 2B. doesn't matter. But you have to get some nutrition training and then you have to get some movement training. And then you have to learn coaching and change psychology. Okay, and you have to take courses on that. And then you have to learn business, sales, and marketing, because regardless of who you work for or who you work with, that's what you do. Whether you work for a gym, you're in the business of selling personal training. And so you need to learn how that works. And then last is your ongoing learning and professional development program. So for the next few slides, I won't go really, really deep into this because you can print them out. But I've just sort of talked about what should the benefits of each phase be? What should the content look like? What shouldn't be included? What shouldn't you expect to be there? For the first phase, you shouldn't expect to learn change psychology, coaching, eating, movement, lifestyle, marketing, or business, because you're getting a basic personal training certification. Some options that are out there and what you shouldn't worry about in each. Don't stress out on this phase. Get whatever. This is like rapid speed of implementation. How quickly can you get this thing and get started if you're not working in the field? Most of you already are, but this is the curriculum from zero, okay? And then I have just notes on each. What should nutrition look like? And if you're interested, the website that we put together, Nutrition Certification Reviews, where we interviewed you know, 50 different university professors and people working in the field and got reviews of all the different nutrition certifications out there and put them on the site freely available, you can check out and you can look and see what's out there and compare and contrast them. The movement stuff, you guys know many of the organizations here, but I just sort of outlined this. So again, I'm not going to go through it all today because you can check it out. Coaching and change psychology, got to get some of that. And then business sales and marketing. So this is all the stuff you want to think about there. And then obviously, there are so many opportunities for ongoing training and development. And what I think is really important to think about here is the idea that this phase comes once you've met the curriculum for the other. So this is like once you've graduated from university, now you work on your continuing education plan. I see a lot of fitness professionals get their personal training certificate and then just do continuing education stuff so they never build a foundation around business or coaching or change psychology or any of that. They're doing continuing education courses which are designed for people who are getting continuing education, but they build a foundation. 
This is what I think you ought to do. Build this career track for yourself. Build it up over time. You don't have to have it by next year. And then events like this are part of your continuing education. And there's awesome internships, and there's certifications, and there's certifications in every area. So if you haven't heard of what coaching, counseling certifications are out there, check some of these out. Okay? So that was the third biggest opportunity for you guys. Build your curriculum proactively. Like sit down on a piece of paper, write down, what am I trained in? What am I not trained in? What do I need to be trained in in the next five years or else I won't have any clients? Start building that out. Okay? So the fourth problem or biggest opportunity here is before you build your curriculum, you have to define your purpose. Okay? Don't build your curriculum based on what you think I think you should be doing. Build it on your purpose. So what is that? We have to start with why, but most people start with the opposite, what and how. So they say, I want to become a great personal trainer. Well, is that why? No. That's what you want to do. I want to start out part-time, self-employed, and gradually build my business. That's how you want to do it. That's still not why. Here's how to ask why. So let's say you wanted to do those things. You have to ask why for each. Why personal training? Is it because you love to exercise yourself? Or love helping people? That could be something different. Or because it seems like an easy option to get on the ground floor before starting your own gym? Why? Why do you want to be a personal trainer? Why do you want to do what you want to do, whether it's personal training or not? Why work part-time? That was the other example there. Is it because you have a young family and want to slowly transition away from being a stay-at-home parent? Or because you're still in school? Why, why, why? Why be self-employed? Is it because you like taking business risk? Because that's what self-employed means. Or because you hate working for the man? Is that that? Both viable answers. You have to know your answer. So here's how we do this thought exercise. Why do you want to work in fitness? Uh, again, I'd love you to write this down and fill it out. I want to work in fitness because... And then we play the five whys game. Okay? And the five whys says your first answer isn't right. Never is. Your client's first answer is never right. Why'd you hire me? Why do you want to work on your whatever you said you want to work on? They tell you the answer, and it's not going to be right. It's going to be a surface level, socially acceptable answer that you need to go deeper on. So then you ask, why that? And when you ask that five times, well, why'd you say that one? Well, I'm really interested in that. Could you go a little deeper and explain why that matters to you? You get to answers that are real, that are really deep, and that are the only thing that's really motivating people in the first place. Okay? And so here's some other questions for you to think about. Why do you think you should work in fitness? What type of clients do you want to work with? Do you want to run your own business? Do you really want to help other people? And some of these questions, you're like, well, yeah, of course, I have to say yes to that. But you don't. If you say, no, I, I, I'm not in fitness to actually help other people, that is a viable answer. You could just be like, I have a sweet body. I don't like going to work, like at workplaces. Uh, I can teach people to exercise. And uh, that's why I want to work in fitness. That's great. That's good. You should know that. There are certain people you should never work with. There's certain things you should never do. Another answer is, well, I'm not really in this to help people. I actually just want to elevate my own profile. I think I have a good message, and I want to spread it. That's another viable answer. Then you can do what I'm doing right now. You never have to work with a client. You can, well, I do, but you, can, you never have to, though. You can just get up on stage and teach. There's all kinds of pathways in fitness if you answer these questions honestly. And sometimes your honesty won't feel good. You'll be like, oh, people will judge me. And that's why you don't like put this on a billboard. You just write it down on a piece of paper. You can burn it if you want after. 
So what relationship do you want with your income? Do I want to make a lot of money, or am I cool just having the basic necessities met because I get most of my value from something else? What relationship do you want with your work? Do you want to work a lot, or do you want to work a little? There are certain jobs in this field where you're going to put in like 80-hour weeks or more, some where you're going to sleep where you work some nights on a cot, and there's other jobs where you can work from 6 in the morning till noon and be done for the rest of the day. Which one do you want? Okay, and how does it relate to the others? And I love this one. What other skills, talents, and aptitudes do you have? We call this finding superpowers. And when I coach professionals, I coach them to find their own superpowers. And when I coach clients, I want them to find their superpowers. And what are superpowers? That could be anything. It could be like, I am a good baker. And you're like, oh, really? Cool, there might be a job for you in fitness. Not as personal training, but baking really yummy protein bars that have a good shelf life and you could sell all over the United States. And they're maybe made out of cricket flour or whatever else. And it's novel and whatever, right? If you're a good baker, that's it. If you're super social, that's a superpower of yours. How do you roll that into what you do? Do you make really nice origami? I don't care what you do. What things are you good at and how can you use it here? You know, because I think a lot of people get into fitness and they're like, okay, cool. I see the people speaking at Perform Better, so I have to model my career after them. And that's not true. What I want you to do is find your own superpowers and use those in your practice. And the closer you are in terms of working within your superpowers in this field, the better you're going to do. And it's the same for your clients, right? Let's say you have clients who struggle with nutritional compliance. Well, they're not total losers. They can do other things in their life really well. What we do is we try and find the amazing things that they do well, and how do we use that to help them eat better? Let's say someone's like a wicked scheduler. I don't know, they're really good at scheduling stuff. They're real OCD about that. Well, how can you actually use their scheduling superpower to remind them to eat on a schedule? Okay? You see what I mean? They don't have to be like you. They don't have to be like anyone else. Use their superpower. So what's yours? So you start answering these questions, and I think you get it a better sense of what you should be doing with your life in this career or maybe not in this career. So fourth biggest opportunity is understand your why, even before you plan your curriculum. All right. Fifth opportunity in fitness, okay, and the last one I'll go through today. This was a big eye-opening one for me, and this is me being honest. This is like showing the ice cream that I ate to my Facebook group, okay? So I remember there was a quote I read on a forum that changed the way that I looked at clients and what we do at Precision Nutrition. So we've been coaching a lot of clients over the years through our, our coaching program. You know, um, many of you know the certification program we do, but we coach a lot of clients every year through body transformations, through health transformations. And I was on a forum and I read this quote, no, I don't really recommend precision nutrition. Sure, I got results. It's just that even though I didn't really need my coach that often, if I did, I'm not sure what would have happened. So I was obviously really, really interested in this particular quote. So I'm like, okay, this sounds like a weird thing to say. I got results, but maybe I didn't need coaching or I didn't need my coach as much as whatever. Sounded weird to me. So I went and looked up this client. So in our year-long coaching program, she lost like 65 pounds of body fat. So I was like, whoa. So obviously your first response is mentally unstable idiot, right? <laughs> Clearly. But once you get over that knee-jerk reaction, right, you start to think about what could be going on here? And so I actually sought this person out, and I interviewed her. 
And it actually kicked off a whole new way of talking to clients at PN. We do these really intensive interviews called Jobs to be Done interviews, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But what I discovered was we didn't understand why she was hiring us, okay? So all of you laugh because your assumption is when someone hires someone like Precision Nutrition, they want to lose fat. And if you help them lose fat, they should be happy. And if they're not happy, they're unreasonable. But the thing is, we assumed that she hired us for the wrong reason. We thought she was just hiring us to help her lose fat, but what she was actually hiring us for was what? Any ideas? Relationship. Some sort of lifestyle, some sort of interaction with people. Okay? So I'll tell you what it, what it turns out a lot of women hire us for, and men. But in her case, it was that she was hiring both fat loss and a relationship with a coach. She didn't use the word mentor, but it sounded a little bit like that. Okay? That's what she was hiring, and we didn't know it. And that's why she went all over the internet and told people she didn't recommend us, even though we fulfilled half the bargain. We just didn't fulfill the other half, and it wasn't enough. Now, knowing that, because this was a big epiphany for me, I don't know if some of you have thought about this type of thing before, but think about how this might have been happening in your own practices. Could this be happening right now where clients are leaving and you're like, I don't know why they're not happy. I just don't understand it. I think they're crazy. But it's because you're delivering one thing that you assume that they want and they actually want something else too. Or maybe even instead. I think it was also. In this case, I think she would have been unhappy if there would have been a relationship and no weight loss. And equally unhappy if there's weight loss and no relationship. You give both and all of a sudden you have someone telling the whole world how awesome you are. Okay, So that's why Jobs to be Done became really important for us. This is actually an interviewing framework, I'll get to that men story in a minute, that we learned from a guy named Clay Christensen out of Harvard Business School. And his whole thing is that people don't hire stuff for the reasons we often think. And his classic example is a hammer. Right? People don't buy a hammer, they hire a hammer. And what do you hire a hammer to do? Put a nail into a thing. You're not actually hiring a hammer, you're hiring the hole that that nail is going into. You're hiring that particular action. Same thing with a screwdriver. You drill a hole, you want the hole, you don't want the screwdriver. Okay? And so there's some really classic examples. If any of you are kind of interested in this, Google jobs to be done and milkshakes. Okay? And you'll find the classic example where these guys went in and they studied McDonald's and they found a way to sell like 10 times the number of milkshakes with changing not the milkshake formulas necessarily, but under the understanding of why people buy milkshakes at McDonald's. Okay? Now, that's using this for evil, I think. <laughs> but nevertheless, we try and use it for good. So when using this framework, and I'll give you a host of questions that we ask, we discovered something interesting about our male clients. And this might not be your male clients. This is just our male clients. So we thought they were just, help me gain muscle and lose fat. All the internet marketers tell you, if you put abs and fat loss and stuff like that in the title, more guys will open it up or read it or whatever the case may be. And that may be true, but they won't be happy if they hire you for coaching and that's all you give them. What men want, in particular, when they come work with us, is they want us to help them become what we call that guy. And it's the man I want to look and feel like. Because that guy doesn't have relationship problems like I do. 
That guy can't possibly be on diabetes meds like I just was put on. That guy is obviously in control of his life. And often that guy takes the form of some guy on the cover of a magazine. All right? So generally, guys that we work with will see a fit dude and they'll write the script of his life. That guy didn't just get broken up with after six years with the same woman. That guy just didn't get a scary medical diagnosis from his physician. That guy doesn't feel like he's a loser and his life is out of control. Help me become that guy. They don't necessarily want the abs, they just want what that guy has or they think that that guy has when it might not even be true. So this is what clients are really hiring us for. Do you think that would change what we do with them? In some ways it does, profoundly. And how about women? Now this isn't all women, and that wasn't all men either, okay? But it's the predominance of them. These are the things that came up over and over and over and over and over again. So for women, we thought it was help me lose weight and fit into my skinny jeans, okay? But what we found they were really looking for was help me separate eating and feeling, okay? So this was a story that came out over again and over again. Whenever I feel a strong emotion, I turn to food. It could be happiness turns me to food. It could be sadness turns me to food. It could be stress turns me to food. Any one of those things, whenever I feel an emotion, strong emotion, doesn't have to be negative, I turn to food. I eat, then I gain weight and have to diet to get it off. That fails and I feel bad. And then whenever I feel an emotion, I start the cycle again. See how it works? Diet, feel bad, feel a strong emotion, I turn to food, then I gain weight, then I try and lose it with the diet, and no wonder people are on the merry-go-round, right? So this really factors into what I was talking about earlier. I need someone to care about me and help me get free of this never-ending cycle. You get it? They're hiring you to care about them because it just feels so bad to be on this little merry-go-round. And I want someone to get it. I want someone to help me through it. What's going to happen as a consequence? Of course, I'm going to lose the weight that I gained from eating a lot when I felt a strong emotion. Okay? But I want someone to just care. And for a lot of women, they're wellsprings of care for everyone around them. And they never really get the opportunity to feel cared for themselves. Right? So this is part of the opportunity for women. So it might not even be just they want to hire you for a relationship. They want you to care. And they feel like you might be one person uniquely qualified to care because their problem as they see it right now is food. And you know food. So like you'll get it. Awesome. Care. So you see, I mean, these, these aren't insights that came overnight. These took a lot of questions and answer. And so I'll, I'll show you the questions in a minute. But once you understand this, and this sort of starts speaking to business, okay? Once you understand this stuff about your clients, then you use Robert Cialdini's principles of influence. Anybody read Influence? A few of you? Okay. So Cialdini's just this sort of master of understanding the principles that lead people to do things that either they already wanted to but wouldn't or that they might not have otherwise and you've convinced them to. It's kind of like what marketing is. But he has all these rules and laws that he talks about in his book. And so I'll just leave you with that. First, you have to understand clients why. Why they want to have a coach, why they want to work with you, and what the criterion for success will be. And it's not just weight loss in almost every case. And then you can use that stuff to sell your services using what Cialdini talks about. So this is really small, and again, we're not going to go through it all together, but these are the types of questions that come out when you do a jobs-to-be-done interview, when you try and understand why people hire you in the first place. 
Okay? And usually what ends up happening is you don't ask them why they did the things. You ask them what they were doing when they decided to do the things. Okay? And I'll give you a great example that always sticks with me. We had a female client who was in her 50s sign up for coaching. And we did this interview. And so we're like, I don't know, 45 minutes deep in the interview, and it's just like layer after layer of surface answer. And then she finally said this one thing that was like, aha, I get it. Right? So she's, okay, I'll put it this way. Why did you sign up for coaching? Uh, I really thought I had to lose weight. Well, why'd you do it now? Well, because I saw your advertisements and I thought maybe it would be a good time for me. On and on, around the merry-go-round. This isn't the right answer. This isn't the right answer. And then all of a sudden she said something. Well, my 16-year-old son got his driver's license. And I was like, well, when, when did he do that? One week before I signed up for coaching. And you're like, oh, we're on to something here, right? So what happened for this woman? So her, her son was a swimmer, and he started swimming when he was four. So since he was four years old, for 12 years in a row, she drove him to early morning swim practices and evening swim practices. She sat in the car while he swam and read a book, or she would sit on the stands, or whatever the case may be. Did anyone have a mom who did this kind of stuff for you? Yeah, yeah lots of you. Is anyone a mom who does this stuff for your kids? Yeah, yeah, yeah lots of you. Okay. So her son got his driver's license, and all of a sudden, she decided to do this thing. That was the reason. Okay? She had a moment to care for herself. And at the very moment, the first moment she had, she did it. This also told me something very powerful about her. She doesn't mess around. She didn't wait. Literally, a week after he got her, his, his license, she signed up. So this tells me something pretty important about this woman, okay? She's really motivated, really committed, and doesn't let things stand in her way when she needs to do something. So all of a sudden, I knew two very, very critical pieces about her, and it also made me realize that the Jobs to be Done framework is so important because it has people tell you when they did things and what the circumstances in their lives were, not why they thought they were doing it. Because she didn't know that it was the driver's license that made her sign up. She had no idea. In fact, when we said it after a fact, she was like, I never even thought of that. And that's what motivates people to do things more often than the things that they did think about. So we have a lot of people committed to this project at PN. We do lots of interviews all the time. We're always interviewing. You might not have the staff or man or woman power to do that, but even just a few. Sometimes I find as few as five interviews with clients, the same things come up over and over and over again, and then all of a sudden you start to understand things a lot deeper. It helps you as a coach, but it helps your business as well, because now your marketing can start to shape around the things that people hire you for. So this isn't just a do-good project, it's also a make-more-money project. Okay? And if you want to do good and you don't care about money, just go do good with it. And if you want to make money and you don't care about doing good, you can do it too. It's the same thing, and that's what I love about it. So that was the fifth biggest opportunity, understand your client's why. So I'm not even watching the time. Am I over time? Or? Yeah, okay, all right, cool. So here, we're going to wrap it up now. So what to do next? One, close the gap by moving to where clients are at. You guys remember what we talked about there, and you know how I feel about that. Two, become more than a personal trainer. You're going to have to. But it'd be great if you could start before it's necessary. Three, don't be like Dan John. <laughs> Four, figure out your own why. And then five, figure out your client's why. So for all the free resources, all the thought exercises, all that stuff, if you put your name on the list, where am I list, by the way? Awesome. Cool. Thank you. Then I'm going to send it all to you. 
And the last thing, I have one more thought exercise before you walk out the room. This is an important one because this could embarrass you. All right? If John Brody comes back to perform better next year, spots me, you, and calls you aside and says, Hey, I remember you were taking pictures of my embarrassment. (laughs) Over the last 365 days since I saw you perform better, I remember you. What have you done to become a more complete fitness professional? What will your answer be when I see you next year and I call you out? And will you be proud of it? And I'll leave you with that. Thanks very much. Okay, everyone, that's it for this week's edition of Precision Nutrition's The Complete Fitness Professional Podcast. For more information about how to become the complete fitness professional yourself and for some awesome free nutrition and coaching resources, come visit us on the web at www.precisionnutrition.com. You could also visit us on Facebook or on Twitter at InsidePN. Talk to you next time.